Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see everybody here this morning, old folks and visitors and all of you all together. It's good to, good to have you here. This is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Not much on the announcements uh, page today. We will, uh, of course, be celebrating Independence Day next week, so we'll Expect to see a, a sea of red, white, and blue out there. Do we have any birthdays this week? Wayne? Three of them celebrate. Three? My goodness. Okay, who are they? My son and his youngest and my father. Okay. Anybody else? One on one, my Lord. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday, God bless you, happy birthday to you. Anniversaries. Don't tell me. Okay. No anniversaries. In that case, let's continue to praise the Lord. It's funny what turns out to be worship when you don't expect it. Let's stand and sing number 36. We have come into his house and gathered in his name to worship him. I need thee every hour.
Brother Mitch, will you lead us in prayer, please? Yes. Father God, thank you so much for that sweet hour of prayer because we do need thee. We need thee every hour, every moment, every second. We need you, Lord, because without you we are nothing, but with you all things are possible. So, Lord, we ask this morning that you come, make your presence known among us this morning, touch every heart, lift every spirit above all of the challenges of life, and help us to worship you, to put you first and foremost above everything. Lord, we want to be blessed, but we also want to be a blessing to you. So help us, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Our communion hymn this morning is number 262, My Jesus, I Love Thee.
Phil is uh, off sick this morning. Let's uh, keep a special place in our prayers for him. In the meantime, I'll try to uh, fill in. <clears throat> that which God ordains as holy is never to be blasphemed nor treated carelessly. That principle certainly applies to communion, sometimes called the Lord's Supper because Jesus is the one who instituted it. It's sacred because he is the one who is honored by it. In the Christian church, we take communion every week since that practice was modeled for us in the New Testament church. Acts 27 says, On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Early historians document that the early church observed communion every week. Following that precedent, we also provide communion every week. The Lord's Supper is to be a sacred time of remembering Christ's death. The Lord knew that our memories fade with time. The further we get from an event, the less vividly we recall it. The older we get, the harder it is to remember. I can attest to that. We've all been frustrated or embarrassed at times by memory lapses. But God created our memory with planned obsolescence. It's probably a good thing we don't remember everything in vivid detail. If the memory of bad times didn't fade, if we remembered every failure, every time someone let us down or we let them down, every insult or injury, it would be overwhelming. How terrible it would be if the memory of a loved one who had died didn't fade a little in time. The grief would be unbearable. So God lets us forget. But Jesus established a memorial so that we would not forget his death. On the night before he was betrayed, Jesus took the unleavened bread that was used for the Passover feast and said, When you eat of this bread, remember my body that was broken for you. The Bible teaches that not a bone of his body was ever broken. He was a perfect lamb, sacrificed for the sins of the world. But his skin was broken from head to toe. When you eat of this unleavened bread, remember his sinless body was broken, stabbed, cut, sliced, punctured, and shattered beyond recognition for you. And then Jesus took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The Lord's Supper is the most meaningful memorial ever established. You can see the wisdom of God all over it. It's so simple. The elements of bread and juice are easily available to every class of people. It's vividly symbolic. The unleavened bread reminds us of Christ's sinless body. The wine is blood-colored and easily reminds us of that which was shed to cleanse our sin. It's easily portable. You don't have to travel to Jerusalem or a special cathedral to participate. It can be observed anywhere. It's interactive. It's not just something we look at. It's something we do. Something mystical, wonderful happens in communion. We're never closer to Jesus Christ than at this moment. Amen. It's his supper. He promised to be there, and it's an opportunity to reach out and touch him in a mysterious way. And it's communion also with each other. 
There's something unifying about taking communion together. It re reinforces loving relationships, breaks down barriers that separate people. That's why communion is a very sacred moment in the mind of God and should be to us. Let's take a few moments just to have a private conversation with Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have established this memorial that we might remember your son's death and resurrection until he comes again. Bless this loaf, bless this fruit of the vine, that they may always be in the forefront of our minds as we join in communion with one another and with thee. Jesus took the bread, broke it, blessed it, passed it among them, saying, This is my body broken for you. Eat ye of it. Likewise, the cup. After they had eaten, he took it and giving thanks, passed it among them, saying, This is my blood poured out for the remission of sins. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me until I come again. Drink of it, all of you. Let's stand for the doxology. As we continue to praise God, let's turn to number 493. We'll understand it better by and by. Bye. 
testimony over there. Uh, you may be seated. I didn't know Phil was going to be out this morning. We're going to be shorthanded, or I would change the schedule just a little bit, but I think we'll go ahead and inflict a special on you anyhow. Are we on? Just barely. Uh, Can you hear me now? I think so. Ready, Maestro? Okay. We're talking to you. Right. We weren't sure whether we'd be able to get through it to late last night and decided we'd try it anyhow. But it's good that we can uh, we can come and have a meal together with Jesus. And uh, the invitation's always open. He always says, come and dine. Jesus has a table spread Where the saints of God are fed He invites his chosen people Come and dine with his manna he doth feed And supplies our every need Oh, tis sweet to sup with Jesus all the time Come and dine, the master calleth, come and dine You may feast at Jesus' table all the time He who fed the multitude Turned the water into wine To the hungry calleth now Come and die. The disciples came to land, thus obeying Christ's command. For the Master called to them, Come and dine. There they found their heart's desire Bread and fish upon the fire Thus he satisfies the hungry every time Come and dine, the master calleth Come and dine You may feast at Jesus' table all the time He who said the multitude Turned the water into wine To the hungry calleth now Come and dine Soon the Lamb will take his bride To be ever at his side All the hosts of heaven will assemble be Oh, it will be a glorious sight All the saints in sparkling white And with Jesus they will reign eternally Come and dine, the Master calleth, come and dine You may feast at Jesus' table all the time he who fed the multitude Turned the water into wine To the hungry calleth now Come and dine He who fed the multitude Turned the water into wine To the hungry calleth now Come and dine To the hungry calleth now Come and dine Come and
Mitch, I've done all I can. <laughs> you done all the damage you can do. Hey, there's people here. <laughs> Good morning. How are you, church? Blessed. Amen. Attitude check. Praise the Lord. Awesome. Well, as we continue on here in the book of Matthew, we're ready to start in chapter 25. And we have the parable of the ten virgins this morning. So I'll be reading uh, chapter 25, verse 1 through verse 13. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in their jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know the day or the hour. So here he's still answering that last question about when will the end come. Now before he had talked about, uh, you know, the end coming unawares. So, you know, he had said that you won't know when the day or the hour has come. Now... The implication is it may come before you're ready. It may come before you know it. So here's these ten virgins. Now, we need to look at this from the customs of the day. This was a tradition, and it was a traditional wedding, that what would happen is the virgins, or the bridesmaids, were the ones who would wait until the bridegroom was coming and then they would join that party and walk with the bridegroom to the home of the bride to meet the bride there. And so this is what was going on, that the bridegroom wouldn't announce ahead of time when he was coming. He tried to surprise everybody as much as possible. And there would always be some kind of wait. Well, this one... Waited till midnight. You know, you would think, "Mm, that's not a reasonable hour, but I guess, you know, when you're talking about marriage, uh, 
there is no such thing as reasonable. <laughs> uh, but anyway, here he has, uh, he has come at midnight. And at this point, you know, they've already went to sleep. But the ten wise virgins brought extra oil with them. But the ten, uh, the five, I'm sorry, five brought it, five didn't. And the five who didn't, when it came time to where they thought it was getting close, then they expected the wise ones to share with them. But they were wise, so they said, no. (laughs) Now, in this custom, the stores who sold all of the supplies for a wedding also remained open until after this wedding was done. So when they told them to go to the place where they sell uh, sell oil, that was not unreasonable because the place would have been open. But what was unreasonable was that they never thought to bring it in the first place. Now, the, the scary thing is, is that after it's done and over, after the five wise virgins joined the party and went in and the door for the banquet was shut, then the five foolish come back. I don't know who you are. Go away. Now, he surely knew who they were. But they had broken the rules. They had broken the tradition. They weren't there to walk in with the groom. Now, this is not about being saved or being lost so much as it is about these people were not ever really saved because... They were not prepared when the bridegroom came. Folks, there's only one thing we can do to be prepared for when he comes. We need Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. That's the answer to this whole thing. We have to make sure that we have a relationship with Jesus, a saving relationship. You know, there are many people who say, yeah, I know Jesus. Yeah, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but they're not saved because they have never really accepted Jesus as their Lord. (laughs) They may have thought of him as their Savior, but they never let him be Lord of their life. And if you've never let him be Lord and lead you in your life, then you do not have him as your Savior either. He either has all of you or none of you. That's the way it works, folks. We have to give it all to Jesus. You know, that song, I Surrender All, (laughs) there's a reason why that was written. Because that's what the Bible teaches We do give it all to him. Because if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Amen? Amen. And that's the whole point here. The five wise gave all to Jesus. They went and prepared themselves to wait for his coming. 
But the five foolish, they had not given their all to him. They wanted a savior. They wanted to be a part of the banquet and have the fun. But they didn't want to have to be accountable. They didn't want to have to be the one who, who had to think ahead of time and, and do the work. And, you know, they didn't want all that. They just wanted somebody to come and, and take me to the ball. <laughs> Let's go have fun. There's nothing wrong with having fun, folks. That's not what I'm saying. But if we're having fun that does not include Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then we're in trouble. You know, the most fun I've ever had is in church. That's the truth. I used to get drunk. I used to get high. I used to do all of that crazy stuff that, you know, you do when you're stupid. And uh, you know what? None of it was ever like what I feel when I'm close to God. It was not as good as Jesus. Never was it as good as Jesus. And the sad thing is, is that I knew better, <laughs> but I did it anyway. That's why I said I'm stupid, you know. <laughs> you know, it's, it's one thing if you don't know any better. But when you do know better and you do it anyway, that's stupid. Okay? <laughs> There's the difference. The Bible even says, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So if you don't know any better, then you just need to be taught. But if you do know better, and you do it anyway, well, then it's a sin. Shame on you. And we will stand before a righteous and holy God. You know, the day is coming when each one of us, each person, will stand before God and give an account. And for those of us who are Christians... Our standing before God is not going to be whether you're saved or whether you're lost, whether you're going to heaven or whether you're going to hell. That's already decided by accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's already determined that we are going to heaven. But when we as Christians stand before him, we're going to answer the questions as to what we did with the opportunities he gave us how much we learned of his word, how much time we spent in his word, and then what we did with what we learned. You know, so many people want to argue about passages of scripture that they don't even understand. They don't know what that passage really means, and yet they want to argue over it. But then the ones they do understand, they break every command. And they never have a problem with that. Now, why do you think that is? Maybe it's because their heart's not right with Jesus. You know, we often can justify our sin. The devil will offer us a way to make it seem logical to do wrong. You know, that's the reason why the Bible says that there is a way to man that seemeth right, but in the end it leads to destruction and I, I fear that in our society today there are more people that live by feelings than by facts if it feels good do it 
You know, that's basically the first tenet of witchcraft. Witchcraft books say that whatever seems right and you do it, no one any harm, go ahead and do it. Well, who determines in that case what's good and what's bad, what's harmful and what's not? The individual. So in other words, they're putting themselves in the place of God to determine what's right and what's wrong. People who live by their feelings are doing that very thing. They're saying, I'm God. They may not say it in that terms, but in their actions, they're saying, I'm God. I determine what I think is right and what I think is wrong, regardless of what God said. Think about that. And then think about all the stuff that's going on in our world today. And how many people live that very way. Now I want to tell you, those people are part of the five foolish, not the five wise. The wise were living according to the rules. They were trying to honor the tradition. They were trying to honor the, the way things were meant to be. In other words, in this application, they were living up to God's word. Were they doing it perfectly? No, because it's not possible for any of us to do it perfectly. But they were trying. They were doing the best they could, the best they knew how. And they were the ones who were accepted. They were the ones that made it into the banquet because they were prepared. Now, I bet you'll never guess what question I'm going to ask you today. Are you prepared? Are you one of the five foolish that doesn't have everything in order with the master? Are or you part of the wise group that does have everything in order with Jesus? Everything ready, everything surrendered and submitted to him. If not, and obey God this morning as we sing. Brother Bob. Our invitation hymn this morning is number 361. Only trust him. Let's stand and sing.
seated. And we'll take a, list, a look at the 